Good afternoon and welcome to Mediascope, the programme for and about the public relations, event management and journalism industries. I'm Ellen Gunning from the Irish Academy of Public Relations and you're very welcome to the programme. Now on this week's show I'm chatting with Cassie Delaney from Rogue Magazine. Cassie, thanks for taking my call. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me. Now, you're one of three women running a publishing house in Ireland and there are only two publishing houses run by women. You're a journalist yeah. by trade. Why did you get into journalism? Um, well, I suppose like most people who enter into journalism, I loved storytelling. I loved meeting people. And um, I, I really think that journalism is a really key driver for social change. Um, and once you're in it and get the buzz, I suppose it's really hard to get out of it. I tried for a while, but I, it's something always brought me back. I just love putting stories together and I love using different media to tell stories and help people understand the world a little bit better. So where has your career taken you before this? So I started um, my career with image publications kind of 12 years ago at this stage. Um, I studied in DIT and I suppose like most of you come out and you find an internship or you do whatever you can to get your foot in the door. Um, And then I sort of, I stayed in women's media for a really long time and eventually becoming the deputy editor of Her.E for Maximum Media at the time. But over the last couple of years, um, I've had, you know, stints of being freelance. I've worked for a few different places in-house. So I've sort of touched base and worked with pretty much every magazine um, every women's magazine there is in Ireland at some point or another. Um, and then, yeah, we I set up Tall Tales Podcast, which is a podcast production company two years ago. So for the last two years, I've been doing that every day, you know, six days a week, seven days a week. <laughs> You're working for yourself seven days a week. We know that's the truer yeah. version of it. So yeah. you said that you, you started working with Image and you sort of found yourself in women's media. So it was never... A particular choice it was just where life took you kind of like I knew for the type of journalism I like um human interest and kind of human stories I didn't think I was going to get that in in a newsroom I didn't want I knew I didn't want to go in and work in a newspaper I also love digital media like I love video production audio production and I didn't um want to pitch my soul into just kind of press writing in in a newspaper so I never really tried to go down that route I always did enjoy women's media although it kind of got to the stage then um you know where women's media is traditionally owned by men and we'd have a lot of head-butting on what I thought women wanted to read and what they thought women wanted to read so that's what led us to go found Rogue as well was that we were, as female journalists and female content creators, were really frustrated that there were other people telling us what women wanted to read. And we were like, we're not just women. For other creators. people, you mean men? Men, yes, often men. Um, and like, there's always, I suppose, you know yourself, like, there's always that contradiction as well in digital media between editorial work and commercial work. Because there was just always someone who had an opinion about what would work for the audience and what they wanted to read. And sometimes it was just to please the advertisers. And sometimes it was just like their finger was totally off the pulse. And you worked with Her.ie, so that gave you a really good insight into online platforms for women. Mm-hmm. What, how did you find that or what did you take from that? Well, like, I always say, there's, you know, I, I know loads of journalists who've gone through Maximum Media and worked for Her.ie and Joe.ie over the years. I had a great time. I, it's an education. I was there for, you know, a couple of years. I learned so much of what I know now about digital publishing from working there. It's a really intense environment. It's, you know, it's 
long hours and there's a lot of pressure and um, it, it can be really, really tough. But at the same time, it's still one of the most rewarding jobs I had. Like the platform is huge. The audience is massive and there is still nothing like the rush of writing a really good opinion piece and it being read by a hundred thousand people like it's it is phenomenal hard to beat hard to beat yeah. very hard they hard love me out there they're reading me but it, it is actually part of it um that people share your opinion and then online media actually gives you i presume it's open to comments so you can actually hear and see the reactions of people to what you've written yeah, I, I feel like that was one of the reasons. So after I left Maxim Media, I actually went into work in a tech company for a little while just to kind of expand my experience in marketing and, and use my skills for something else. But a lot of it was that it was really difficult being a woman online and receiving these awful comments from people. On And I know, you know, Twitter and stuff is a nasty place for everybody. But when you're publishing like that and when your work is so public and people take a negative opinion on it it's really really difficult and it really has an effect I was really young as well when I worked in I you know worked in maximum media so I found that kind of stuff really difficult um, and it really put me off wanting to create media for a long time it really put me off wanting to publish stories but I kind of when I went into tech still missed the buzz of it and then I my re-entry into sort of media was through podcasting um, and I found that with podcasts, people are so much kinder. There's just, you, we don't get the negative comments that we used to get under posts that we had published on Herd.ie. We don't get um, unsolicited opinions of people telling us how we should be doing it and what we should care about and all that kind of stuff. There's something in um, in podcasting, I think, that, that people are just more forgiving. It's a more forgiving medium, maybe, and people are more open to um just appreciating it. And Maybe appreciating it's just that a little bit slower that people actually stop and concentrate on a podcast whereas they consume digital media like her.ie in a very fast way. I'm really surprised by that though because you would be a digital native. You're of that age yeah. where you've grown up with digital so you would have been very familiar with it. You would know, I presume, and have seen all these keyboard warriors who will leave all sorts of nasty comments and yet it really affected you. Well, totally, because it it was so, it could be so dark. Like, there was one time a a man in the UK um, t- like, would t- told me to go kill myself online because I had written a story about EastEnders. And I was like, you know, we got all these comments of nobody cares, you're wasting your time, this is awful, this is crap journalism, this is, you know, this isn't content, this is, you know, just awful stuff. And I was like, couldn't get over the end. I was like, I'm just trying to make a living. I'm just a journalist who's trying to pay her bills, working in media and doing the thing I love. And I know that not everybody in the world cares about this EastEnders story that I'm doing over here. But like, we do this stuff over here so that we can take the time elsewhere to do the opinion pieces, to write the content about the eighth referendum to, um, to or the eighth amendment. You know, we did lots of like good stuff, but people need to understand that the kind of, the easy wins, the you know the the clickbaity stuff that you see on mm. site does get people on site. It drives the traffic, and that's what advertisers want. And it's the advertisers that pay for the site to be able to run. And you know you have to kind of when you're working in that model, where it's an advertiser fueled model, you do have to um, strike that balance. And you know you, you it's just how it is. So was your was your bother with it if you like the fact that it was kind of fluffy and clickbait and not really what you wanted to write about or that actually you had written a very good article about a topic that was possibly fluffy 
um, and people couldn't see the difference. I, I'm wondering what was it that upset you most about it? I'm trying to dig into your psyche here. <laughs> well, I think, well, for me, it was, I knew that it wasn't exactly the stuff that I wanted to be writing. You know, we did some amazing stuff around um, Repeal. We were actually the media partner for Repeal at the time. We did some excellent stuff around uh, the marriage equality referendum. I got to shoot a short documentary called How the Yes Was Won, which I really enjoyed. So we, like, there were moments where I was really carving out the kind of career and doing the, the stuff that I wanted to do, which was maybe slightly um, more political than the everyday kind of fashion pieces and lifestyle pieces and all that kind of stuff. But even when we did those, um, we had a really strong team and everyone was really clever. So even when we were writing the TV pieces or the this Penny's dresses selling out kind of pieces, we made sure that there was humour in them and they were smart and they were sassy and they were enjoyable reads, you know. Mm. Um, so it, it was a bit of both. But I, I, was, I suppose the thing that really upset me was that, you know, it was so... There's such throwaway stories, of course, but people had such a strong reaction to them a lot of the time. Um, you know, it, 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 it and was it's just an item unnecessary. Of Did you get the yeah. same strong reaction when you were writing about um, gay marriage? You know, uh, when you were no. actually pushing that agenda, for the want of a better description. So you were actually saying, we like you were taking a position on it as a media group oh, yeah, we did. and saying, we did, OK, yeah. we actually think this is a really good thing and you should get out there and vote for it. Did, did that not attract an awful lot of people who said, well, you're wrong or you're opinionated or, you know, did you not get the same kind of negative feedback? No, not in this. Like we had proper, I think around those topics, we had proper debate and we did have pieces and we were writing about um repeal that was quite divisive and that was people were um but they were debating it you know that was and they were divisive about their views on it it wasn't you know it wasn't personalized yourself, nobody cares. Yeah, yeah it, it wasn't, wasn't personalized like, to the person who was actually writing it yeah exactly it was it was it was interesting i mean that's what media should do it should get people talking and they were having conversations about uh, the topics at hand and sometimes they got angry at the publication because we were taking a stand on it but um, no like it, the only time we got the really the unnecessarily mean bad feedback on Twitter and stuff was just people commenting like nobody cares this is useless your way to you know you, this is such a waste of your time you know it's just at least with the bigger topics the political kind of stuff people understood why we were writing them I think no, a it's a very here. good point that it's not that you're thin skinned because you're actually encouraging people to debate with you and mm -hmm. say you know I believe your position is wrong for whatever reason but you know here's my position on it um, and you can start to argue it back or you can get people debating the issue so it's, it's not that you want everybody to agree with what you've written or the way you've written it it's that you're, you're just you're against the trolls the trolls That's seem it. to be increasing and it seems to be much worse for women online than for men Oh, absolutely. Like, it's, I think it's so much worse for, for women online. And like, the thing is, the, the, a lot of the trolls we dealt with were men, obviously. Like, there was, or faceless people on Twitter. But, like, it, they seem to be coming from a lot of, like, male Facebook accounts or um, slightly older women as well. It was not kind of, like, young teenagers just being mean for the sake of it, like you'd expect. There were people who were going out of their way to you know, give you a negative comment or give you negative feedback in an article. I suppose what really used to frustrate me was that people used to click into the article, come back out and be like, oh, this, you know, this was crap. 
waste of time. As if you clicked into it and read it, like no one is making you <laughs> do this. Like just it's so it's so easy to but ignore does, something you don't like. But does that maybe say so something about the headline that you use that, you know, if I get sucked into and I've never trolled anybody, I have to admit, but uh, if I get sucked into an article that I think is going to be, I don't know, it's going to illuminate some issue for me and I read it at the end and I think, oh, that was such a waste of time. I learned nothing, but I'll just move yeah. on. It was my fault for wasting my own time, more or less, and I reading know. it to the end. We all do it. Like, we all click in. I'd like to think that the media I consume is really high-brow, wonderfully taught think pieces and, you know, mm. beautifully crafted things all the time. But, like, I click into the trashiest headlines all the it's just there's something in it you're like i have to go in and know it's like the other day i got stung on a terrible one on on um it was a uk publication and it was like life-changing gift that um one of the royals and i don't even follow the royals i don't even really care about the royals but i was like i need to see what this life-changing <laughs> gift is and i'm literally a handbag and like that it was the last sentence of the piece and i was like this is awful absolute rubbish and, yeah yeah but, but I didn't I, feel the need to go and tell the journalist it was awful. Like. But I think that's a big difference um, that you, you try to actually mediate what you read and keep it to, you know, areas of particular interest, as you say, kind of a slightly more highbrow, which I think most of us would like to think we do. But every single one of us gets sucked into something that becomes the handbag or the, the royal wears this and you think, I don't really care. How do they actually get me? But then there's a whole science in how do they actually get you? Let me take a very quick commercial break and I'll come back to you right after this. You're listening to The Mediascope Show with Ellen Gunning on 103.2. Dublin City FM. Welcome back. I'm chatting with Cassie Delaney from The Rogue magazine and I want to ask you the six million dollar question, Cassie. So you've actually created, you're one of only, you've, you've two partners in the business with you That's and right. you've created a new online platform for women. So the six million dollar question, what the heck do women actually want to read? You know what, it's really varied and I don't think there is an answer but I can tell you what interesting drives our most traffic and that is things about um living online the treatment of women online um, and then anything to do with kind of the home we've done great pieces on like the invisible work that women have to do in the home and the work gap that exists generally in, in relationships and who does who burdens more of the work all that kind of stuff does really well but um What's been really surprising about Rogue, first of all, Rogue is a subscription-based model as well, so we don't have to do the content that pleases the advertisers. We don't work with advertisers. So we write what we know the audience are going to read. Um, and one of the things that's really been massive for us are pieces around music, and um, especially the Irish art scene and the Irish music scene. And that's been that was the kind of thing you used to have to almost fight tooth and nail with an editor to be like, can I write a long-form piece on you know, um, female musicians, they'd be like, nobody's interested in reading that. But it's working really, really well for us. Um, it does vary. It's, it's, it depends on, I suppose, the month and what's topical at the time. We did a huge piece there last month on um, the Discord server Lake, where we actually went and found the messages that men had been leaving in these forums about women. We were seeing if we could access the photos and how easy it was, and we were able to do that. So those kind of pieces that are slightly investigative um, perform really well for us as well. So it's really mixed, really varied, which is exciting. Well, yours is a subscription model. So do you know what kind of age group? Is there a specific age cohort that you're reaching? Our, our most um, 
our biggest, I suppose, demographic are women between 35 and 55. I know that's really, that's a massive gap, but um, it seems to be kind of slightly older uh, women who, but I think that's because of the writers we have as well. Do you know, I wouldn't, I don't know if it's something about Rogue or the branding that's drawing in an audience like that, or maybe it's the um, the topics that we have, but we have a really good panel of writers who I think bring their audiences and we do tend to um, we commission from really we, we commission from really experienced journalists who have sort of an audience built up but we also then are really good at working with young up and coming writers, uh, diverse writers as well to make sure that we kind of like coach them through and give them an opportunity to publish but yeah I think it's that maybe the, the older writers are bringing their audiences in with them. It's interesting because even the topics you mentioned, like the treatment of women online or invisible work in the home or music, it, it kind of fits with the 35 to 55 age group rather than a, a younger or a particularly older age group. When you had spent years working in women's media, from the outside looking in, I would have said there's so much media for women. If you just use that term very loosely, there's so much media for women. And actually it seems to be declining because advertising isn't there. Um, it's moving online and that is moving to an advertising driven model. So you were saying yours isn't driven by advertisers. Do you work very closely with PR agencies as an item of interest? Yeah, we do. And we do what we can. Um, we, I think for, for Tall Tales as well, I do work a lot with PR agencies and I work with advertisers and if for certain projects. But I think with Rogue, it was important that we didn't go, first of all, we didn't go down the route of the advertising model because just as you said there, like you can see publications are struggling. Like magazines are going out of print all the time. Mm. It's really hard to get traffic on websites. And there is loads of media for women. It's just um, doing something that I think you really actually would want to read. Like I still look at the magazine stands and even when I want to buy a magazine I don't see myself reflected in the media like I don't fully see my interests coming off the covers and it's the same with other online publications that are I suppose backed by the advertising model either sometimes they're kind of too soft I don't feel like they're political enough they're not I just don't and, and they're fast publishers so sometimes there hasn't been that time to stop reflect and really um, consider a piece before it has to be published. So it's it's not as deep as I would like it to go sometimes. Um, so I think that's why it's really important that we, you know, we figured out a model that was sustainable and would work for us in the long term. And also in terms of a subscription model, I mean, I know that people who are good at hunting around, like all the algorithms now, will start to feed me, which drives me crazy, but it will start to feed me stories that are actually of interest to me, which saves me a lot of hunting around. So if it's in the political area, it'll pop up. My feed will automatically show me things that are of interest. Do you, yeah. You're competing against that, which is absolutely free to me, and asking me to pay a subscription to a magazine which targets me. So what, in terms of, if I subscribe, A, how much does it cost me, and what volume or what level do I get for that subscription? So it's uh, four euro a month or 45 euro for the year. And we publish every Sunday. So we generally publish between four and six pieces every Sunday. There's recipes and um, there's horoscopes from a tarot reader, which is brilliant. Um, but we have our, 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 our guts of it is four long essays. So we've got four meaty essays that publish every single week. So for your four euro a month, you know, you're you're getting 16 really good essays. You're getting a um, lot of content. Why a Sunday as an item of interest? Well, one of the important things for us as well was 
And one of the things I think that's missing so much now in media and why navigating life online is difficult is that there isn't the same shared experience. You know, when you used to get this, the Irish Times and sit down with your paper and your coffee on a Sunday morning or whatever, everyone was reading the same thing. Everyone had the same article. And at least everyone was receiving the same amount of information. So we tried to bring back that shared experience moment. We wanted to really own a Sunday morning, slow read, get your coffee, get under a blanket, read your lovely essays. But it was important for us that it was published at that point in the week. It goes into it goes directly into people's inboxes as well. So you get an email on a Sunday morning with your latest articles. And we just wanted to make sure that people, you know, that they, we could create those sort of water cooler moments for people where maybe on a Monday or maybe after they read your text and your friends and be like, did you read that piece this morning on Rogue? So that's what we wanted to um, just create that kind of, sense of connection like it's really important for us as well with Rogue that we're um, touching people at different points in their day or, day or in their lives where content will add value so it's instead of like competing with them all the time and this perpetual scrolling and trying to grasp people's attention at lunchtime when they're on Twitter or whatever we edged out and created that space where we owned it and everybody knows Rogue comes on a Sunday morning and people really look forward to I think that Sunday morning read now and do your subscribers connect with each other so is it that kind of connection where I can actually discuss if you take follow that sort of Irish Times or Business Post analogy or whatever um, that people can actually say, wow, I just read this and I thought X or Y. So you're in a community that is actually discussing the same paper. Yeah, we have um, we have a really good community built up around it. There's a lot of people will share uh and tweet each other and we can see the comments kind of about pieces whenever. And then we have a really good ecosystem as well um, with other support from other journalists and stuff like that. So often one of our stories might be picked up for a radio show and we'll just, you know, the journalist will go on and it'll be discussed um, on the show. Like just the week before last, I think one of our journalists, Katie Mulder, was on 2FM discussing a piece she had written the previous week. So things like that, that's happened quite frequently. Um, and yeah, we can see you know, obviously on Facebook comment sections and stuff like that, we can see um, people talking to each other about the pieces. But that is something that we're trying to build out more and more is some sort of community. It's one of the things that I think it depends on the platform. Like we have another podcast um, on Patreon and the people who are patrons of that, there's about 1,200, 1,300 people. They can go on to Patreon and they chat to each other. So we don't have like that direct kind of almost instant messenger sort of yes, high yeah. volume foreign thing um, for Rogue, yes, but it's something that we're so cognizant of and really trying to um, develop and have, figure out how the best way that we can do that. So now that you've created the impression in people's heads that they wake up on a Sunday morning, percolate a strong coffee, hop back in under a duvet again and access their inbox to read your articles, how long are your articles? Um, it can, they vary. So we usually, we commission you know, 800 words is a minimum, but more often than not, they're kind of in around 2,000 words. So, like, it's a it's a big read on a Sunday morning. And in terms of your market then, you said 35 to 55, obviously women. I presume you don't have many men, or do you have any men? We have a few. Yeah, we have a few. We've about 15% of the audience is men. That's interesting. Okay, and yeah. are they all Irish-based, or is it international, no. or are you planning to go international, or what? We are... Yeah, yeah, we're definitely planning international. At the moment, interestingly, about 20% of our audience is in the UK. 
which is obviously fantastic because um, there's a big market to go to break into. And I think that's because we've commissioned quite a few UK writers. Um, we've looked at a lot of the, the writers and journalists who used to work for like The Pool and um, different publications over there who are incredibly talented and need an outlet to write smart content. So, um, yeah, 20% is UK and 6% is the US. So we're building out how to, to grow further in the UK and in the US. And well. the 20% UK, I suppose, is less surprising in some ways because we've such a shared heritage between Ireland and England or, or Ireland and Wales or Ireland and the UK that it's we we share the same media. Um, we look at the same television stations. We talk about the same topics, basically. The USA is an interesting one because we don't have that same commonality with them. How do you think mm. you're being picked up in the US? Is it just that you're you're pushing yourselves out there? No, I think it could. It, it, I think some of it could be Irish people in the US. Um, but I think a lot of the topics are universal. They're not terribly Irish. Obviously, some things are Irish specific and some things are um you know, would get lost in translation, I guess. Maybe some of the language kind of quirks. Mm-hmm. But the pieces like the invisible work in the home, that's universal to all women. Um, you know, pieces, I suppose the Discord server, like, say that was maybe very specific to Ireland because it happened here and it was Irish women. But the notion is the same. The, the constant threat that your images could, could be used mm-hmm. against without your consent is the same. So I think that there is a kind of... Maybe it's Irish people in the US. Um, like we haven't done much of a kind of actual physical push in the US, not with any of our um, paid campaigns or anything like that. So I don't know. Maybe I think they are just connecting to the topic. I think it's just, again, testament to the fact that there isn't this kind of media. It's, it's back to your point about this is what women are actually looking for. Um, before so I let you go, tell me about your three women. Um, so tell me a little bit about the other two women who are in the business with you and what possessed them to go into this crazy business with you. Well, um, Ashen Keenan and Leah Donheim, both fantastic journalists, fantastic women, brilliant friends. Um, they, We've all worked in, in media kind of sometimes together and sometimes just for the same publication. So we've all had the same experiences and basically we were talking kind of 18 months ago and we were all going frustrated at not just the kind of lack of opportunities that were available to write and to work in media, but also the length of time it was taking us to get bloody paid. We would invoice and be waiting six, seven, eight months oh, wow. to get paid for work that was done in, you know, in with the magazines and stuff like that. And also they were closing, getting frustrated, and we just weren't finding the spaces to write what we wanted to write. So we talked about it at length and decided that there had to be a better way to do things and would it not be more beneficial for us all to come together, start creating something really good, put it out there, see if it works. And um, yeah, it just... I think that's a super reason to create a business that I am not waiting six to nine months to get paid for the work that I do. Cassie, for anybody who wants to access it online, what's your website? You can go on to roguecollective.ie and follow us at Rogue Collective on Twitter and Instagram. Cassie Delaney, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, William. Well, now, that's all I have for you for this week. If you've information you'd like to share with listeners or you have a good story to tell, please email me to mediascope at dublincityfm.ie. And don't forget you can hear podcasts of this and previous Mediascope programmes on www.irishacademy.ie. I'm Ellen Gunning. Sound this week was by Fergal Daly. My thanks to Cassie Delaney and thanks to you for being with me today. I look forward to the pleasure of your company at the same time next week.
So until then, goodbye.